Daily Drive is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses continue to work together to make a difference now and shape the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio. I'm Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, August 12, 2021. Manufacturers have been through a lot these past couple of years, not the least in the U.S. auto industry. Changing safety guidelines, staffing challenges, a lack of computer chips, and other supply chain disruptions. Manufacturing has evolved over the years, geographically as well as technologically, So McKinsey & Company, the consulting giant, analyzed dozens of manufacturing industries, including automotive, to determine how competitive each is and what is the potential to boost productivity and economic growth, jobs and income, innovation and competitiveness, and national resilience. Hans-Werner Koss is a senior partner at McKinsey, and he co-founded its automotive and assembly practice in the Americas. I asked him what the U.S. auto industry does well and where there's room for improvement. He explained that manufacturers can make investments in technologies or strategic supply reserves that can lead to more reliable profits down the road. I reached him at his home office in Metro Detroit. Hans Werner, welcome to Daily Drive. Likewise, and thank you for having me, Jamie. So this spring, you came out with a report, uh, McKinsey came out with a report on U.S. manufacturing competitiveness. So let's cut to the chase. How does the U.S. auto industry stack up? Well, I think if you put, first of all, a bit of a broader perspective of of our report, and as you know, we analyzed 30, um, 30 different manufacturing uh, subsectors, of which we think 16, based on their relevance for economic GDP output, research development intensity, are critical for the U.S. competitiveness in the the future. Automotive and and parts sector related, obviously, um, is a critical one. And the reason I say that is the auto industry today obviously is still a critical employer. And just to put some numbers into perspective, it's almost 3 million plus workers which are engaged by the automotive parts industry and related, call it suppliers, machinery and and equipment, and up to even 75,000 suppliers. And again, that's a broader definition of automotive with all the subsequent and supporting supply industries from machining tooling, et cetera, services. And and those numbers speak for themselves, uh, knowing that the R&D intensity in automotive is is substantial when you just think how it is also correlated with the key trends shaping the industry, no surprise, electrification, a move towards autonomous driving, whatever the timing might be in in terms of broader adoption or data analytics, connectivity-based new service models to drive up utilization for commercial vehicle customers, but also safety, active safety uh, for uh, private drivers like us. So overall, I think the the US auto industry is doing quite well in terms of its economic um, contributions. And at the same time, we actually do see there's still substantial upside in terms of future job opportunities and opportunities uh, for growth. And that is something we have actually emphasized in our report. Uh, simply because we we do think that there are critical productivity levers which the auto and the parts industry can still apply 
obviously it starts all around uh, specialized and, and well-trained and educated talent, both in the technician world, in the um, specialized manufacturing, like uh, CNC operators, specialized welding, welders with you know very sophisticated welding technologies, just to mention a, a few. And at the same time, the second big lever for further, uh, call it opportunities for growth and productivity enhancement, is bringing advanced analytics um, enabled by sensor gathering of data and also obviously real-time analysis of shop floor performance from productivity, quality, throughput time, um, if you wish, summarizing under the, the theme of Industry 4.0 or Digital 4.0. So there is upside there to, to make the auto, US auto industry and related parts industry even more relevant in, in the future. And we do think um, that maintaining a healthy manufacturing base is, is critical uh, for the United States, given the GDP uh, contribution. And when you look more broadly at the U.S. manufacturing sector in the way I just described those multiple different sectors, it is actually standing for around 11 percent of GDP today and around eight to nine percent of the workforce. But if you take two into account the so-called multiplier effects of all manufacturing industries taken together, that is obviously even a, a much more relevant number, which we need to look at. So in a nutshell, uh, doing well today, in spite of certainly supply shortage challenges and issues like semiconductors, but also others, but there's even more opportunities for driving productivity growth and also driven by the technology disruption where the U.S. continue continuously could take a lead if the right investments, not only in product, but also in advanced production technologies are made. So the one area of the four main uh, categories you looked at within uh, each industry, the one that you didn't give autos, the auto industry high marks for was innovation and competitiveness. And I think at first blush, it seemed to me that maybe Tesla's success and the fast following by incumbents and new startups alike uh, mm. might have argued uh, in favor of, uh, of higher marks there, but uh, maybe I'm thinking too much about the product and not enough about the, the process, about the manufacturing yeah. itself. Yeah, I, I think there were two, two or three reasons, Jamie, behind uh, that classification in terms of the marks, quote unquote, the grades or marks we have given the auto industry in terms of innovation focus. We really looked at the breadth of the industry which means all players, the established incumbent players, as well as obviously emerging growing players, some of them you, you just mentioned. So and if you look at cross of a, across such a broad spectrum and what is the amount of productivity growth and, you know, economists like to, the, to indeed always look at, at productivity growth and what drives it and technology can drive it we, I think, can still do better. And, you, and the second reason is number two is indeed the advancement of investments in product technologies for manufacturing, so production technologies. And when you look at really the investments being made in digital-enabled, advanced analytics-enabled, the productivity growth and manufacturing processes, whether it's um, machining operations, CNC operations, sophisticated metal forming operations from forging, stamping, or castings, the high pressure dye, high pressure dye aluminum castings operations. There is still significant upside to bring more sophisticated data gathering, real-time evaluation, and then obviously also interventions in terms of our production facilities. That was the main reason behind it, that we would like to see more process innovation focus 
and not obviously not giving up on the product innovation focus, no doubt, but um, it has to go hand in hand. And frankly, in, in many cases, when you think, for example, electric vehicles, light weighting obviously is critical, as we all know. But to realize light weighting, you do need to invest and enhance investments in new production technologies. So when this study came out in April, uh, the industry was, of course, in the middle of the COVID crisis, the COVID uh, global right. pandemic. And now you know, it's really the shortage of computer chips is really the dominant manifestation mm-hmm. of the of the pandemic. So what do you make of the industry's response to it? You know, idling some factories, cutting some technology content to protect high margin models, uh, getting seeing some pretty strong profits despite tight supplies. What's What's the key takeaway for you? Yeah, I mean, the key takeaway, in my view, Jamie, is twofold. One, the industry, which means automotive OEMs, and, and not only U.S. OEMs, and it is affecting, obviously, also the European OEMs, if you just um, check their, their, their own releases and announcements and numbers. Uh, it is really about the short-term answer, what can be done as in terms of countering the, the ship shortage, which varies, by the way, based on the different type of semiconductor nodes and technology circuitry. So there is a nuance to that we need to understand. But in the short term, the next six months or six to 12 months, I would even frame it, it's all around, can you really channel, given technological, um, call it suitability of different chips for different uh, microcontrollers, for different applications in the vehicle, whether it's chassis, body control systems, power drain, infotainment controllers, microprocessors, can you channel them in the highly profitable vehicles? And I think most or all OEMs are trying to do that so that they really focus on optimizing their their product mix. No doubt about it, you wanna focus on the high margin vehicles, which in the United States, as you would, as you obviously know, is our Mm -hmm. light, um, light commercial vehicles, trucks, pickup trucks, SUVs, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I, I do think you will need to have a second pillar of your strategy. And and that is requiring a different, call it 12 to 36 month out, different long-term sourcing strategy that OEMs, but also tier one auto suppliers get a much better insight into available capacity, different by obviously technology capabilities and nodes of those semiconductors and different contract manufacturers. And it's a highly concentrated, obviously, quote unquote, supply chain in the contract manufacturing space. And can you indeed make much better predictions and collaboration models work with securing critical semiconductor manufacturing capacities and capabilities literally three years and four years out? And that will at times probably come even at a trade-off towards, call it a price per unit, but it will play out in the long term to securing your growth and your production plans. That is absolutely critical. Now, all that said, Jamie, we should never forget uh, that that was a perfect storm, which led to the semiconductor shortage. Uh, With the rise of e-commerce, obviously, and many other industry sectors, uh, obviously, benefiting from it indirectly, like consumer electronics, remote ordering, e-commerce ordering, folks like you and me do that, obviously, um, remotely from home. There was an over-demand, indeed, manifesting itself in mid-2020, and auto did radically cut back uh, capacity, which means that there was a shifting economic rational decision obviously going on from semiconductor contract manufacturing and fabs and foundries up to the uh, even uh, the different players involved in it. And at the same time, you know, 
who knows? It, there could be also some overselling of capacity being another reason by those semiconductor foundries and fabs themselves. Um, that To sort that out is analytically not, not that easy, but those were the reasons which led to that perfect storm. We'll be back for more with Hans-Werner Koss after this. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses work together and continue to build the future. Our expertise, talented workforce, and collaborative environment are making a difference now and shaping the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org radio to put your plans in motion. That's michiganbusiness.org radio. I want to touch on a couple more things before we run out of time. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, this week, uh, last week, the president uh, said he wants to see uh, the industry selling 50% EVs or plug-in hybrids uh, in the U.S. by 2030. The Detroit automakers or the, the UAW's automakers uh, committed to trying to get to 40 to 50%. Uh, how do you see... In light of, and then this week we had the the first uh, infrastructure bill got through mm -hmm. the Senate. Uh, what do, what are your thoughts on the prospects for the U.S. auto industry helping to fight climate change and and meet uh, when when might we meet that fifty percent threshold? Yeah. So let me take the your question and then um, in in two parts. Point one is um, the U.S. auto industry and its relative contribution. First of all, I, I do think that that directional goal um, of 50% EVs, uh, give or take, and call it nine to 10 years from now, is directionally absolutely uh, the right thing for the reasons of climate change, no doubt about it. But also, I would argue for innovation leadership as we switch to new alternative power drains or call it the electrified power drains, even though obviously a little bit in the background, there are still research activities going on on other power drains like hydrogen and, and fuel cell and powered vehicles. But directionally, point one, absolutely right for, for the reasons of climate change. And number two, I'm, I'm delighted to see the U.S. auto industry and, and frankly, all automakers uh, supporting such a goal. The question is how to make it practically happen. And on the one hand, uh, it is indeed critical that uh, the technology and industry OEMs, the leaders, do appropriately invest in future technologies and the electric powertrain and make it also not only more, if you wish, performance efficient, better range improvement, but also cost efficient. In other words, if you retranslate that into prices for end consumers like you and me, more affordable. And we all know that there is still, quote unquote, some homework to be done uh, whether it's the, the battery cost per, per kilowatt hour um, or indeed um, the entire electric power drain, but obviously the battery costs stand out. But it's not only about the cost, it's also indeed about securing the right battery cell and battery integration and assembly manufacturing capacity and even into the entire upstream supply chain and making those supply chain also sustainable, more and more carbon free or decarbonizing is also critical not only the product itself, which has to make a sustainability contribution, it's the value chain, which has to make a sustainability contribution. And then the point uh, two I would like to emphasize is we need to enable such a transition 
in large our adoption numbers as, as spelled out um, by the US administration recently in terms of the right charging infrastructure. And that has to do both with the density and accessibility of, of electric vehicle charging stations, but also the speed of charging. And obviously if you have higher voltage systems deployed, you can charge faster. And if we wanna enable the same type of mobility with electric vehicles, it's not only the density, it's also the speed uh, of charging, which is critical for a consumer, especially for all the unplanned trips, which do happen. We, we take decisions in a day or within, within a few few days notice. That is absolutely critical. So we're almost out of time, but I wanted to touch on one more thing. Your report highlighted some profound changes taking place with technology, especially software both in the car and in the factories. Can you elaborate a little on what, what you hope to see there? Yeah, let me take also, Jamie, that question in, in, in two parts. On the product, the vehicle. First of all, obviously we all know there's a significant amount of intelligence with um, data gathering sensor-based and then processing in microprocessors going on today and will even enhance in the future. The critical piece will be that we are getting more efficient and more reliable and faster in the computing of the sheer amount of data we are processing, whether it's for active safety, especially active safety, but even to enable efficient power drains, like in that case, electric power drains, what we just talked about, or connectivity-based services. And that requires that we get more efficient with our electric vehicle hardware software architecture. And that means from 150 plus single microprocessors, controllers, we might need to consolidate down to, who knows, maybe six to eight, uh, what we call multi-domain controllers. You can almost call them mini servers in the vehicle because that real estate in terms of packaging advantages, higher processing capabilities, but also interchange in, of, of data, which are relevant for different applications of the vehicle, that will be critical for the future. And such an hardware software electronics architecture then needs to be defined also for the different what we call layers or stacks from the application of a certain quote unquote functionality like providing for example, blind spot warning in an active safety feature for a vehicle um, down to the uh, enabling operating system and frankly semiconductor hardware structure to actually make that happen because the vast amount of data we are processing and the speed with which we are processing, those are indeed very different requirements compared with a microprocessor. I give you the example now of anti-lock braking systems in the early 80s, completely different requirements in terms of data amounts and speed, and frankly also required reliability. So defining that uh, hardware electronics software architecture and the stack is, is critical. And I do think that OEMs are making substantial advancements there. There's still a question to be sorted out. What should the OEM do? What should the tier one supplier do? What should the semiconductor player do? Obviously the, the game is around differentiation, but also I would say investment efficiency and cost efficiency. And the last point in the factories, um, I would like to close the loop with my um, ingoing comments early on on the McKinsey Global Institute US competitiveness manufacturing sector study. Uh, I, I do think we have quote unquote underinvested in enabling our manufacturing and, and factory processes. 
And that is not only investment in quote unquote digital enabled data gathering, sensor based data gathering, processing real time and production lines, assembly lines, et cetera. It is also a question of investment, not only in the software enabling technology, but also in the specialized skills of our um, quote unquote associates and employees in the factories. And that is true for both the true shop flare associates, operators, as well as production line supervisors, and, and frankly, all the support systems in the factory from maintenance to quality assurance system, material handling, et cetera, et cetera. And that is the opportunity for driving productivity growth and, and thereby, frankly, also improving um, output and cost efficiency, which to some degree should be passed on to the end consumer as well. Hans-Werner Haas, thank you so much for sharing your time and insights. Thank you, Jamie. It was a pleasure and uh, wishing you and the automotive news team all the best. That's Daily Drive for August 12. For the latest news on the auto industry, type in autonews.com. And for a complete catalog of more than 300 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. Thanks for listening.